The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. But when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will speak what he hears and will declare to you the things that are coming. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I told you that he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Unbearable, unbearable. The very word carries an ominous tone, doesn't it? Something that's unbearable is something that is intolerable, something that we can't endure, something that we shouldn't endure because it's not good for us, it's harmful. We think of the unbearable fact of war or the unbearable conditions of poverty and racism. These are all afflictions. They're all realities that affect people in the present tense. But there's another kind of unbearable, and that focuses on the future, on realities that are yet to come that aren't necessarily harmful or negative, but which are so overwhelming, so awesome, we wouldn't be able to assimilate them all in the present time. And so they have to be experienced gradually. And I believe that's the understanding Jesus has in the gospel when he told his disciples that, I have so much more to tell you, but you can't bear it now. Eventually, the spirit of truth will come, and he will help you understand these things. Jesus seems to realize that too much information, too soon, might be discouraging, even frightening. So the revelation that he offers is nothing, of course, negative or harmful, but it's something that's going to have to unfold over time very gradually so that it doesn't intimidate or discourage people. And when we look at life, that's kind of the principle we all operate out of, isn't it? We don't know everything that's going to happen to us in the future. It's going to unfold, and it's probably a very good thing that we don't know everything that's going to happen in the weeks and months and years of our lives. 
And it seems to me that's even a very powerful argument for defending the sanctity of human life. Because we don't know what any life is going to contribute according to God's plan as it unfolds. You know, if we discard babies from the womb or continue to insist on capital punishment, we are taking away a life that God is going to be using to transfer his grace. These kind of efforts shortcut what God plans to do in the world. So if that's true about human lives, how much more about the life of God does this apply? That he has so much to tell us, so much to teach us, especially about himself, that it's only something that's going to come as time unfolds because we know we could never assimilate the mystery of God at one single moment. And so on this Feast of the Holy Trinity, when we talk about God as three persons in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's a feast that calls us not to think theologically. We've got enough professional theologians who do that. This is a feast that calls us or reminds us to even more fully deepen our relationship with God. Not something that's cerebral, not something that's in the head, but something that engages our entire person so that we are in a relationship of love with this trinity of persons. About a week ago, I had supper with a good friend who was telling me about his dad, who's 92 years old, obviously seen a lot of life, a man filled with great wisdom and great insights. And one of the moments he regrets in history was the dawning of the Beatles. That's right, the, not the bug. <laughs> that rock group from the 60s. And he disliked them not because of their music or their hair or their bizarre attire, which at that time was really revolutionary, if any of you remember that. He disliked the Beatles because they changed the art of dancing. He maintains that when the Beatles came on the stage of human history and on the stages in our arenas, dance partners no longer looked at each other in a relational type movement. They were now focusing on a stage. They were looking like actors, like spectators at this group that was doing something for them. And that severed a relationship with the dance partner. That was a fascinating insight. And I share that today because one of the most ancient terms that the church fathers used to describe the Holy Trinity was a Greek word, perichoresis. And it literally means dancing. 
That was the metaphor that the early theologians of our faith used to describe what goes on between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a mystery, of course, but we look for words to give some explanation to it. And they saw that this Trinity was not some static reality, but it was a dynamic, moving reality of love. The love between the Father and the Son, and the Son and the Father that was the Holy Spirit. But that relationship of love that we call the Trinity is not something that's remote in and of itself as on a stage that we look at. But it's a life that has been handed on to us. We're baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're now partners in in that dynamic dance of love. So what we're called to do is not so much study God, although there will always be those who need to do that. Our call is to dance with God, to dance with God as a living partner. And we do that through our worship, through our prayer, through our service to one another, We keep that relational bond strong and vibrant, ever new. And we look into the face of God with love, like a dance partner. Because that's how God is looking at us. 